Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello Texas, it's always great to have you along with me for another edition of Texas Ag Today. Jump on in, buckle up, let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the fight against cattle fever ticks continues. We've spent a lot of money fighting the fever tick, but more money hasn't exactly equaled success as the quarantine zones in South Texas continue to expand. We'll check in with Congressman Henry Cuellar about his efforts to secure more funding and maybe take a different type of look at how to control fever ticks. We've got that story to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. With a Texas Panhandle man serving as its chair, a federal advisory committee is preparing to hold a public meeting on how to help EPA make its policies work better for agriculture. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Minimizing hay losses when feeding livestock this fall and into the winter. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have those recommendations on Texas Ag Today. The value of U.S. beef exports tops $1 billion in a month for the first time. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The fight continues to eradicate fever ticks in Texas. South Texas Congressman Henry Cuellar says he's continuing to push for more federal funding to fight the spread of the fever tick, but we need to start thinking of new ways to keep them from spreading through our cattle herd. You know, I've been adding monies for many years, and, and, and I have to tell you, we have to do something a little different because what I see is the quarantines have been increasing. And even though we've been adding monies, uh, you know, I'm going to be asking our listeners and certainly uh, USDA to start looking at something different. Uh, because, uh, as I said, I've been adding monies uh, for over 10 years uh, to five fever ticks. And, and instead of those quarantines getting smaller, they're actually expanding in some areas. Fever ticks cause Texas cattle fever. There's currently a permanent quarantine zone for the tick covering a half million acres from the Gulf of Mexico near Brownsville to north of Del Rio. So I remember when I first started this, uh, I think it was a farm bill somewhere in 2008. And, you know, I put the first language and fever ticks. And a lot of the members had no idea what a fever tick was, uh, except for, you know, folks like myself that are in South Texas. So we've been adding monies, I think, since 2008. So we've added millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Uh, but, you know, the, the quarantines, I, I keep seeing those uh, maps and those counties expand. 
And and you know how uh, difficult it can be. It can be very expensive, uh, especially for the small ranchers when they have to round up their cows and, and their cattle, and they have to try to dip one at a time. And you know, I don't think we can dip ourselves out of this problem. So it, it works, but you know, you still got issues with what do you do with the wildlife? Um, you know, that might carry the fever ticks. Uh, you can take care of the uh, of uh, the cattle by dipping them, but you can't dip. Uh, deer or other wildlife. Uh, so we have to think outside the box and come up with something different is what I've been asking. I mean, I'll continue putting the money, but to put in the money and still see the same issue, uh, something tells me that we got to start looking at something different. With the current spread of the fever tick, the quarantine zone has now spread to over a million acres outside of the permanent zone. Registration is now open for a two-year leadership program for those involved in Texas agriculture. Texas farmers, ranchers, and those involved in the agriculture industry are now invited to apply to be a part of the Governor Dolph Briscoe Jr. Texas Agricultural Lifetime Leadership Program, or TALL. TALL is a two-year leadership development program managed by the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. It offers 500 hours of intensive training in the form of seminars and both domestic and international trips. Cost is $3,000. The next cohort begins in July of 2022. It includes a trip to Russia and Poland in 2024. You can apply on tall.tamu.edu. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Getting calves set up to succeed this winter can pay big dividends. Charles Durbin is with Merck Animal Health. He's based in Fort Worth and says this has been a very good year here in Texas for putting pounds on calves. And you want to keep that momentum going through the fall and into the winter. So just making sure that they get two sets of shots, two, uh, both virals, both uh, modified live viruses, getting their clostridials in them, getting them good and dewormed. And the most important thing, right, one of the most important things after you set up their health is making sure that uh, you're getting the pounds out of them that you need, right? And, and you can do that with, uh, with a row implant where the calves are still suckling, suckling the calves, right? So when you're at Brandon, um, if you drag or if you run them through the sheet, make sure you get a row implant in them and make sure you get them set up for health as well. Durbin says this was a year to count our blessings with lots of rain and grass production across the state. A federal advisory committee is preparing to hold a public meeting on how to help the Environmental Protection Agency make its policies work better for agriculture. And James Hunt tells us there's a Texan heading up that committee. As we talked about in our previous report, Tom McDonald of Canyon is serving as chairman of a special group, EPA's Farm, Ranch, and Rural Communities Federal Advisory Committee. I see several aspects to the Farm, Ranch, and Rural Communities Committee. One is for EPA to have a chance to interact with agriculture. The other side is for the agricultural representatives, uh, rural community representatives, to have an opportunity to learn about EPA and some of the challenges and opportunities that they have. And along with fostering better communication between regulators and the regulated, McDonald says during the year plus since the committee was appointed, it's been analyzing environmental issues such as the regulation of water and pesticides with a goal of advising EPA on how to develop policies that will work best for agriculture and rural communities. McDonald says the advisory committee is now preparing recommendations that will go to the EPA administrator. And I'm not at liberty at this point to go into that because it's all in the draft phase, but we will be having a public meeting 
November 15th and 16th. It will be virtual. And if anyone would like to listen in, you have that opportunity. It's an opportunity available online. To find out more about the meeting and the committee itself, use the search words Farm, Ranch, and Rural Communities Advisory Committee. And in conjunction with that meeting, if you have something to say, there's an opportunity to do that, both oral comment and written comments as well. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. As temperatures begin dropping across Texas, feeding hay is on the increase. Tom Nicoletti checks in with a forage expert for advice on getting the most out of your winter hay. For today's program, we go to Overton in East Texas. And Dr. Vanessa Olson with the Texas AgriLife Extension Service is my guest. She is a hay and forage specialist. Vanessa, there are some recommendations for producers across the state to better maximize hay feeding this fall and winter. Uh, to begin with, uh, they need to minimize waste. That is correct. We can lose a lot of that hay when we're feeding from trampling, leaf shatter, any other contamination, and then just sheer refusal. So making sure that we're only feeding the amount of hay that is needed for a short period of time can reduce a lot of that waste, a lot of that trampling and spoilage. Another one is to make sure that we're feeding hay in well-drained areas so livestock are not necessarily standing in a lot of mud or water. That can increase animal stress levels as well as the excess moisture and mud can deteriorate or reduce the value of that hay that's being fed. Vanessa, another thing ranchers can uh, do is the use of uh, a hay ring. That is correct. Feeding hay in some sort of potentially a rack or a hay ring can also help to eliminate the opportunity for animals to trample or soil on the hay, and it will definitely help to reduce waste substantially. Another recommendation is to feed hay that has been stored outside first. That hay that's been stored outside is at greater risk of losing some of that value and dry matter that we've harvested. So if we feed that hay that we've been storing outside first, as opposed to what we've possibly stored in a barn, that will also minimize that loss or potential wasting of that hay during the feeding process. That is Dr. Vanessa Olson with the Texas AgriLife Extension Service in Overton. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Beef exports have set records here in 2021. Gary Joyner has the story. U.S. beef exports soared to another new value record in August. The U.S. Meat Export Federation says the monthly value topped $1 billion for the first time. Texas cattle producers are encouraged by the strong sales. August beef exports were up 21% from a year ago and the second largest volume this year. Export value was up 55%. A surge in demand from China helped fuel the August sales. Through August, exports to China increased more than 800% from a year ago in both volume and value. U.S. beef accounts for 5.6% of China's imports. That's up from less than 1% last year. Japan is also a big buyer. August beef exports to Japan were the largest of the year. Volume was up 21% from a year ago and value increased 79%. Japan is now this year's largest value destination for U.S. beef. Japan has been importing more chilled U.S. beef to help meet strong retail demand and to minimize shipping delays. There are many transportation and labor challenges right now to move product abroad, but the U.S. beef industry is working hard to keep shipments moving. Lone Star State ranchers are thankful the effort is paying off. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. If you bag a white-tailed deer this season, you may need to make an extra stop before heading home. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. 
And there are lots of equine supplement products available that claim to support a horse's immune system. Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. It's been a tough year. As a farmer or rancher, you know life in agriculture is often stressful. Things like the economy, finances, weather, and even a pandemic increase our stress levels and can leave us feeling defeated. With a demanding workload, it seems that there isn't room for the soft stuff, like talking about feelings. Yet, talking about the hard times can be one of the best ways to manage this stress. Although we can't always control or choose our circumstances, we can control and choose how we respond to them. Sometimes that response looks like asking for help. Some would say the best quality of a farmer or rancher is their independent spirit. But what is agriculture without its community? A force of helpers, neighbors, extension, Farm Bureau members, friends, counselors, and pastors. We are stronger together. Find someone you can talk to. Find the help you need. The Southwest Ag Center is working with the Texas Department of Agriculture to identify stress assistance and resources. Visit swagcenter.org stress to learn more. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. There are a lot of horse supplement products out there that claim to support the equine immune system. But what exactly does that mean? Dr. Bob Judd looks for some answers to that question. Supporting the immune system is a term you hear, but it has a questionable meaning. Does supporting the immune system mean increasing immunity? Because if it does, how much of an increase is beneficial? As too much immunity can lead to immune-mediated diseases. Is increasing immunity needed, or is it even a good idea? Those are unanswered questions, but Dr. Lori Warren from the University of Florida indicated at the AAEP convention that some vitamins and minerals do support the immune system as antioxidants or contribute to the body's immune system by strengthening epithelial barriers, cell-mediated immunity, or antibody production. Diets deficient in vitamins D, C, E, and A, and minerals, selenium and zinc, result in impaired immune function and increased susceptibility to infection. However, studies on these vitamins and minerals are usually done in animals on vitamin and mineral deficient diets. Vitamin E has been widely studied in horses, and yet there is no evidence that increased levels of vitamin E over normal amounts are needed. So if you are feeding a balanced diet with normal levels of vitamin E, your horse is unlikely to need a supplement. And the same thing was found with selenium, as horses on deficient diets responded, but those on normal diets received no benefit from extra selenium. Vitamin C can be lowered in horses due to strenuous exercise and respiratory disease. So supplementation in these horses with vitamin C may be helpful, although this has not been proven, and horses synthesize their own vitamin C. So in most cases, if your horse is healthy and already on a good diet, increased levels of vitamins and minerals may not be needed. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. If you're lucky enough to take a white-tailed deer this season, you may need to make an extra stop before heading home. Jessica Domel tells why in today's Wildlife Report. If you plan on hunting in the Trans-Pecos, Panhandle, or south-central areas of the state, or in Kimball, Valverde, Hunt, or Lubbock counties, you will need to make an extra stop before bringing home any deer you bag this season. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is reminding hunters that chronic wasting disease zones have been set up in those areas. And hunters must bring their deer to a check station within 48 hours of harvest to be tested for the fatal neurological deer disease. 
Alan Kane, TPWD's Whitetail Deer Program Leader, joins us with more. We have a couple of new CWD zones. One is in Hunt County, just east of Dallas. We had a positive animal in a captive facility up there and ended up establishing a CBD zone around that area just to sample and determine if CBD is outside of that captive facility. We also have a new zone in Lubbock. We found a free-ranging mule deer earlier this spring that was positive for CWD. And then we also actually expanded the zone in south-central Texas, so that zone that's been in place since 2016 in Medina County. It's expanded westward into Uvalde County a little bit more because there's a couple other positive captive facilities over there. And so we extended that zone over there to assess whether that disease is extended out into that free-ranging population. Hunters can go to our website or on the Outdoor Annual mobile app. There'll be a link on there for chronic waste disease. You can click on that and find out any information you need to know about the different CBD zones around the state and the requirements for mandatory sampling of hunter harvested deer in those zones or carcass movement restrictions. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. The cattle markets ended the week on an upswing on Friday, but the grain markets continued to drift lower. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It ended up being a good week for the cattle market. We wrapped up the futures market on a higher note on Friday, and we also saw a big jump in the cash market. We'll start with those futures prices where December live cattle were up $1.17, dollar February up $1.27, dollar April live cattle up $1.17 at 140 even. November feeder cattle up 85 cents, 158.87. January up $1.42, 159.60. The March up $1.45 at 160.77. As we mentioned, we had a higher cash trade. That started on Wednesday when we saw sales at 128. That's a couple of bucks higher than last week. However, most of the feedlots held out for higher money. They got it on Friday morning. We saw live sales at 130 here in Texas as well as in Kansas and Nebraska. That's 4 to $5 higher than last week. Dress sales in Iowa and Nebraska at 204. Again, 4 bucks higher than last week. Boxed beef prices were higher on Friday. Choice up 25 cents at 290.47. Select up 73 268.95. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Let's go to the Colots capital of the world and talk to Carl Herman about the Wednesday sale he had at Caldwell Livestock. Carl, how'd that sale treat y'all? 
Oh, we had uh, almost 700 yesterday, Larry. Uh, we had some rain yesterday morning, and it rained all day. We, we probably got two and a half to three and a half inches scattered around, but we needed to rain. Uh, we had 114 consigners yesterday, 42 buyers on a steady calf market and cow market. Uh, had over 130 cows and bulls, slaughter cows 30 to 66, slaughter bulls 65 to 89, stocker cows 600 to 1275, and a pair 750 to 11 and a quarter. Uh, on the calves, on the steers, two to three weights, 150 to 177. Three to four weights, 150 to 182. Four to five weight steers brought 150 to 182. Five to six weights, 140 to 167. Six to seven weights, 125 to 143. And the seven to eight weight steers, 113 to 130. On the uh, heifers, two to three weight heifers, 130 to 160. Three to four weights brought 130 to 165. The four to five hundred pound heifers brought 129 to 165. Five to six weights, 127 to 157. Six to seven weight heifers, 125 to 147. And the seven to eight weights, 115 to 133. Uh, overall, had a, had a good day, had some rain, and country ought to be in pretty good shape now, moisture-wise. So uh, we look forward to next week. Good deal. Do you know of anything coming? Yes, sir. I know uh, two or three deals. Uh, <clears throat> got one one consigner's got about uh, fifty good Charlotte Cross uh, calves uh, coming off some uh, Brayford cows, and they will be good. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you. Okay, my number is nine seven nine eight two zero five three four nine. Call me at the barn at five six seven four one one nine. If you're in the Giddings and surrounding area, call Max Ebner at five four zero eight six seven six. Carl, we appreciate you. Texas neighbors listening on the Farm Bureau Network, we appreciate you even more. I'm Larry Marble. I'll show you that appreciation by giving you another walk in the pens tomorrow. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Now let's step back over to the futures market where lean hogs closed lower on Friday, December down $1.32 at $76.55. February hogs down 70 cents, $79.47. Class 3 milk was lower. November down 11, $17.79, 100 weight. December milk down 25 at $17.56. There was not a lot of news to move the cotton market on Friday, so we closed higher on the nearby contracts, lower on the deferreds. December cotton up 41 points, 116.87. March cotton up 33 at 113.24. December 22 cotton down 51 points, 91.25 cents. Corn and wheat both closed lower for the fourth day in a row on Friday. Corn feeling the pressure from a lower soybean market also concerns over export sales. U.S. corn export sales on the books right now total 1.2 billion bushels. That's down 7% from this time a year ago. That weighed on prices with December corn down six and a quarter, 553 a bushel. March corn down five and a half at 562 and a quarter. Both hard and soft wheat, again seeing the fourth day in a row of lower prices. July Kansas City wheat down four and three quarters, 774. July Chicago wheat down five and a quarter, 773 and three quarters. In the energy markets Friday, December natural gas was down 12 cents, 559. December crude oil up 262 at 81.43 a barrel. The financial markets higher on Friday. The Dow up 244 points, 36,368. The Nasdaq up 42 at 15,782. The S&P up 21 at 4,701. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name is Kerry Martin. Hope to see you next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website, at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today, 
is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.